Good morning. We're glad that you're here today. And let's take our Bibles. We're going to start off with a reading from Psalm 3 this morning. I know we've enjoyed our time of Thanksgiving this past week, and I hope that Thanksgiving's not over for you. Um, we ought to give thanks in everything, as Scripture tells us. I want to begin by reading from Psalm 3 this morning, and then we're going to have some special music and uh, have a time of singing and worship together this morning. Psalm 3 says this, Lord, how are they increased that trouble, again, that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Father, I pray that you bless our service this morning. Help us as we consider your word, as we respond in obedience. Help us as we worship you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the many blessings that you've given us to enable us even to assemble here today and worship you. I pray for those who are away sick. Many are ill today. I pray for those who are away traveling. Give them safety as they return back to us. Lord, we pray that everything that's done here would honor and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we are in the last chapter of this wonderful book. And I have really enjoyed our time in it. We're going to spend several more weeks here. Uh, we, this chapter 13 is a very rich chapter. There's a lot in it. And uh, so I'm looking forward to spending a few more weeks here <coughs> in our study. Last week, as we finished off chapter 12, we looked at how organization and obedience in God's work are necessary for carrying on the work of the Lord. That we must continue to obey. We can't just expect our spiritual life to live on the emotions of a moment or the excitement that we had at one point in our life. That it requires consistent faithfulness and obedience and that even then there's some organization that comes around it, some discipline, some plans, some things we need to put in place in our lives to continue to be faithful to the Lord. I'm so thankful for all the work that God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. I'm thankful for what God is doing even in our church. I'm thankful for what God did last Sunday in our praise and thanksgiving service. Wasn't that a wonderful time? And I'm so thankful for all the testimonies. What a tremendous time as we were able to give thanks together, as we were able to enjoy eating together. We had so many people, we had to set up three tables outside, and that's a good problem. I fully expect by next year doing this, we'll probably have to set this room up with tables and fill it up, and maybe even more than that. We'll see what God has. And I just wanted to take a minute as I began this message this morning just to share my personal testimony of thanksgiving for this church. I enjoyed hearing yours last Sunday night, but I didn't get a chance to share mine. And I'm so thankful for what God has done over the last little over two and a half years. God has done much to grow this church from just a couple of families to now a growing body and filling up our fellowship hall and, and on beyond that. Even this morning, as we have many people still out over the holiday weekend, we still have a wonderful group gathered here. And if you're wondering where most of the children are, by the way, I didn't dismiss them. If, you, if boys and girls want to go to junior church, it's just down the road, just down the road, down through the hall here. Just send your kids outside and down the street. They'll be just fine. Anyway just down the hallway here, and they're having their junior church time, but they started right in there this morning because they're preparing for a special presentation that they'll be doing here Sunday night, December 15th. And by the way, you can get uh, invitations for those. They're right in the back there, right next to where you can get our gospel tracks, and I hope that you're sharing those and passing those out, especially at this time of year. But I'm thankful for how God has continued to bless 
The Bible tells us in God's Word in the book of Isaiah that the Word of God will not return void. Do you know what that means? It means that when God's Word goes out, it doesn't come back empty. It always comes back and it does a work in people's hearts. And I'm thankful for how we've seen God do that work in people's hearts here at our church, that God's Word truly has not returned void. That as it's gone out, as people have shared it personally, one-on-one, as people have heard it taught in classes, as people have listened during sermons and various things, that there has been a tremendous response to the Word of God. And we'll notice that again in Nehemiah 13 as we get there. But I'm thankful for what God has done that, or how God has done that here at our church. This week, I heard from some who were struggling spiritually. And I'm thankful for a church that wants to encourage those that are spiritually weak and hurting. In fact, I had a text from one person this morning. Don't forget to pray for me, Pastor. And I was able to text back and say, I already did, but I will continue to pray for you. I'm thankful for a church, and I don't just not taking the credit myself, but for you that pray for one another. And I hear about that on a regular basis. I heard about some this week who were struggling physically, and yet I'm thankful to hear of those who were ministering to the physical needs of others this week. In fact, there's some wonderful ministry outside on the table. If you didn't get one of those lemons, you should get one on the way out. And uh, that's a blessing, some fresh, ripe lemons. You know you have to be in Texas to get some lemons at this time of year, fresh off the tree. And so you can take two. Are there enough for two? All right, take a couple lemons and uh, make lemonade or you can make, I don't know, lemon meringue pie. That sounds good. If you make that, you can bring me a piece and I'll enjoy it with you. And uh, I'm thankful for that. I, I was thankful for some this week who went out to feed those who were homeless or do, didn't have a place to go for Thanksgiving. Thankful for those who donated some food to make that possible this week. I was thankful this week to hear from some who are beginning discipleship with others and Bible studies. They're trying to encourage them spiritually in their growth. I'm thankful this last week to hear of at least one person who was led to Christ by one of our members. And I'm thankful for the gospel going forth. Praise God for the power of the gospel. I'm thankful for those who came and served in many ways even to clean up and take down the Thanksgiving decorations and put up these decorations that we get to enjoy for the next while. I'm thankful that God is continuing to do His work. And we know that's true about our God. God always wins His battles. God is always advancing. He's never never retreating. He's always completing what He sets out to do. Our theme this year as a church has been advance, as we've desired to continue to take those next spiritual steps forward that God would have us to take. And we've looked at that in, in desiring that each one would Win one. And I'm thankful many of you have won somebody to Christ this year. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to keep praying and keep sharing the good news. We know that the Bible says some plant, some water, but God brings the increase. And so we trust Him to do that. But we need to be faithful in our part to do the planting and watering. And encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to win somebody to Christ yet this year, the year's not over. And uh, this is a wonderful time to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But I believe if we're faithful to do our part of sharing the good news, we'd know that God will be faithful to do His part and save souls. And uh, we've focused on having the desire to win one and then leading one, taking somebody who you've led to Christ or somebody that you've met at church or a friend or family member and leading them in personal discipleship. The reason we make such an emphasis about that is because The Bible challenges us all as individual believers to go and to make disciples. That's a personal responsibility. And yes, it's something that ought to be happening within the church. And that's why we're doing it. But that's why we challenge you to do it personally. Because I think each one of us ought to be able to stand before God someday to give an account of ourselves and say, Lord, I've been faithful with what you've given me. I've tried to share the gospel with others. I've tried to take others and train them in your word. I didn't know everything, but I tried to teach them what I did know. And I'm thankful for many who are discipling their children, many who are discipling their friends, many are discipling other members of our church. And then we've challenged each person to find somebody that they could follow, somebody that they could look to and say, this is that person that I have a close relationship with and I'm 
growing alongside of them in my relationship with God. And then challenging each person to continue to take one, take that next step that the Lord would have us to do. In the book of Nehemiah, we've seen God do a great work. God burdened Nehemiah with this need of rebuilding the wall around the city. And as he began to pray about it, as he began to consider the need, God opened the doors so that Nehemiah could return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And in just 52 days, the people banded together, they united together, and they rebuilt this wall. But as you've heard me say many times in this series, and as I think it bears repeating yet again, building the wall didn't fix all of their problems. Just like getting the next thing in our life won't fix our problems. Sometimes we live for the next moment or the next holiday or the next event or or the next raise at work or the next financial level or the next stage. Boy, if I can just get my children out of diapers, then everything will be good. And then we feel like, well, if I could just get them through those elementary years, things would all even out. Well, if I could just get them through those teenage years, things would work out better. Then everything would work out well. And then, oh boy, now they're turning into young adults. If I could just get them out of the house, things would be better, that they would grow up. Or then they get out of the house, oh, I wish they would just come back home and visit once a while. I wish that they were doing right as they should. All those stages. And then eventually we start to have our problems and fall apart. Pretty soon we're the ones needing our diaper changed. And it just goes all the way around, right? And that's how life goes. And if we just live for the next thing, and if we just live for the next moment, and we don't learn to enjoy and find contentment with the Lord where we're at, we'll never find peace and contentment in our life. The only true peace and contentment and joy that we can find is in the Lord. And we all have a problem, just like it didn't fix the children of Israel's problem to rebuild the wall because they still had the problem of sin. There was still the struggle, the the problem that we all have. We have that same problem today. And just coming to the next holiday or the next event or some people think, well, if I just get this for Christmas, it's not going to make you happy. It will for a moment, but that doesn't last. Nehemiah had a burden for these people that they would continue on in faithful obedience to the Lord. And it is my heart for our church that we would continue in faithful obedience to the Lord. This happens in our individual lives and it happens in our corporate body as a church. That we can often live for those big moments, those big days. And yet I think God wants us to be faithful even in the little things. In fact, the Bible says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. See, Nehemiah, as we come to chapter 13, he has gone back to Persia. Because if you remember back in the first couple of chapters, he was working for the king. He was working for the king of Persia, and he had to ask permission to leave and to go rebuild the walls. And the king asked him how long he would be gone. Nehemiah set a time And we don't know exactly what he said, because the Bible doesn't say, but we know based on chapter 13 that he had gone back to work under King Artaxerxes. And it says that in verse 6 of chapter 13. We'll get there in a minute. I said this a little bit wrong last week. I said he was gone for a number of years. When I went back, I was looking at this. I got ahead of myself. I think he was only gone maybe a year, maybe a little bit more. So he wasn't gone a long time. And if you remember at the end of chapter 12, he had set up all of these organizations. He had appointed spiritual leaders. He had appointed people to gather in the offerings of the people. And if you remember, the people were giving abundantly. They were giving lots and lots. The worship of God was going forward. God's people were continuing in faithfulness. And then you get to chapter 13, and we read in verse 1, it says, On that day... They read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabites should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, 
but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Now, if you're not up on your history of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, those first three verses probably don't mean much of anything to you. So let me just take a moment and explain what he's talking about. He's challenging them, and, they, and we see that in verse 3, that they separated themselves out from the mixed multitude. Well, that begs the question, why did they do this, and what was the importance of this? Well, it says in verse 1 of chapter 13 that they read in the book of Moses. The book of Moses is referring to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of the law or the Pentateuch, as, are, as they are sometimes known. And they read in, this, in the Bible, and they read about something that they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be separated from the mixed multitude. And it gives us a reason in verse 2 of why they were supposed to be separated from the mixed multitude. It mentions this prophet named Balaam. Now, if you're thinking in your Old Testament Bible knowledge, you may be thinking about a false god by the name of Baal. This is not the same person. Baal was a false god that the children of Israel uh, ended up worshiping a number of times, and there were a lot of problems because they would worship Baal. This is a different guy entirely. This was a man who was a prophet of God, and yet he was not a faithful prophet because he was what we would call sometimes today an hireling. In other words, he would do what he did if he got paid enough to do it. He didn't serve God just because he wanted to. He would only do what he did if he got paid to do it. And some of the enemies of Israel hired this prophet of God to come and to pronounce a curse against the children of Israel. Imagine that. Someone who claims to be a man of God being used to do the works of evil. If you pay attention to things going on in the news, that kind of stuff happens even today. Where somebody is willing to compromise truth and go against God for money or for fame, for position, for power. This is what Balaam tried to do. And yet God, in His absolute sovereign ability the bible says here he took the curse and he turned it into a blessing when the, when balaam tried to curse the children of israel instead he ended up blessing the children of israel so much so that the enemies the ammonites and the moabites who had hired him to pronounce this curse they were very upset with him and very frustrated because he wouldn't pronounce the curse he couldn't get the words out god wouldn't let him do it God took the curse and he turned it into a blessing. And because of this, it says that when they heard the law, they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. God had said they were not to associate with or participate in worship with the Ammonites and the Moabites because these people were the enemies of God's people. Now, sometimes people read the Old Testament and they say, it sounds like God is racist that he's against certain people. No, it's sometimes hard for us to understand this, but very simply, God is against sin. God is holy. These people worshiped a false God. God said, you can't come to me and worship me and your false idols. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have several examples of people, even one who was a Moabitess, if you go to the very next book in the Bible, I'm sorry, a couple books later, the book of Ruth. She was a Moabitess who became a worshiper of God. She forsook those false idols to follow the one true God. And in fact, if you study your Bible, Ruth was put into the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. God is not a racist. But God is holy. And God called the people of Israel through his word to separate themselves out from those who were living 
in disobedience to God, who were idol worshipers, who were following false gods. I think it's very interesting to note that in verse 1, they're doing this because they read in the book of Moses. Over and over in the second half of the book of Nehemiah, we see God's people doing right because they read what the Bible said. I think we could sit here and preach a whole message this morning just on that subject or that idea, the importance of reading God's Word. Yet I want us to focus this morning a little more on their promises they made to God and how they didn't keep those promises to God and how we as people today can be faithful to keep our promises. But one of the most important things in keeping our promises is to be in the Word of God. If you don't know what God's Word says, how can you be obedient to what God wants you to do? A lot of people live their lives with kind of their own made-up version of who God is. You can't obey a God that you don't know. You can't have a relationship with a God that you don't know. It's just like I can't have a relationship with my wife if I don't know her. I can't have a relationship with her if I don't communicate with her. I can wear a wedding ring, I can say nice things about her, but I don't have a real relationship with her if I don't know her. And you cannot have a close relationship with your God if you don't know Him. And God has revealed Himself to us through His Word. Now, I understand, I probably have made some of these excuses as well. We will say things like, but it's hard, or it's boring, or it's really long, it's a lot to read. I've heard all those things, and probably at various stages of my life, I've made those same excuses. But God, the creator of the universe, has revealed himself to us in his word. And it's so important, if we're going to remain faithful to keep the promises that we make to God, we must be in the word of God. Notice the promise that they had made back in chapter 10. So just a couple of chapters prior to this, chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, it says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. They had made a commitment to God to walk in His law, says, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe to do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and His judgments and His statutes. They made this commitment to God. God, we will walk in obedience to You. We will separate ourselves out. So I asked the question, what happened? Here it is, just a few chapters later, maybe a year later, a year and a half later. Why are they back with the people that they had promised to God that they would separate themselves out from? I would tell you, spiritually speaking, it's very easy for us to do the same thing. To make a promise to God and then not keep it. Over the next couple of weeks, I want us to think about the promises that the children of Israel made to God and then their failure to keep those promises. And I hope it can be instructive to us on how we can remain faithful to keep those promises that we make to our God. They had made this promise to God that they would be distinct followers of God in what they said and what they did that they would separate themselves out from those who were not truly following God so that they would be faithful to Him. One pastor said it this way, in many places today, the devil is not fighting against the church, the devil has joined the church. Because when we allow our sinful selves to come in and we don't, live right before God, we're not ready to worship a holy and a true God. I know this feels maybe harsh and difficult. You say, well, that's Old Testament. 
I'm so thankful that we come to, before God with grace. I'm going to switch over to this thing. See if it... It is always interesting that when you get serious in a message, it seems like that's when the microphone wants to break. God calls us as Christians to live a, as peculiar people, zealous unto good works. Peculiar, you say, that sounds weird. No, he's calling us to be different on purpose. In order to be a follower of God, it means that we may say no to some things, but it's so that we can say a greater yes to our Lord and Savior. Here in Nehemiah chapter 13, God called the people back to obedience in following Him. He reminded them that they are to be separated from the mixed multitude. In 1 Peter, the Bible commands us as believers to be holy as God is holy. He says, be holy, for I am holy. Even as a church, we are a called out assembly. We should be different from this world on purpose. I think of this mixed multitude as those that we may not think of as being specifically against God. And yet Jesus himself was very clear. Jesus, the one who had demonstrated his great love in that he died on the cross for our sins, Jesus himself said this in Matthew 12, verse 30, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. I want to challenge you as an individual, and I want to challenge our church as a group, that we be faithful and committed, even if it means separating ourselves out from some things in our life that are not helping us to walk in complete obedience to Him. We sang the song this morning, Complete in Thee, No Work of Thine. May take no work of mine, may take, dear Lord, the place of thine. And yet sometimes we live as though, well, I'll add God to what I'm already doing, and he'll kind of fill up the empty parts. No, no, God wants all of you. You say, why does he deserve all of me? Because he died for all of you. So there's a challenge to separate from the mixed multitude. But we see a second challenge here because as the people had allowed kind of this mixed multitude to mix back in and, and the worship of God wasn't as serious as it had once been instead of purifying themselves as they were doing back in chapter 11 and 12 and separating themselves out in chapter 10 to worship God purely and cleanly before Him to really be focused on God and God alone, as they began to include other people in the mix, it's very interesting because the next thing we notice in verses 4 through 9 is that they had invited an enemy back into the temple. Look at verse 4 with me because I want you to notice who this enemy is. It says, and before this, so this was before they read the word of God. This is how they had been living. Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God. Remember, Nehemiah had left those in charge of the various chambers. Remember that? And in fact, Eliashib, this priest, he's the first priest mentioned in chapter 3. If you go back and read the list of the workers on the wall, this was the first name mentioned. That Eliashib the priest and the other priests gathered together and they built this one particular gate. It's very interesting because now he has responsibility over the chamber, the house of God. But it says he was allied unto Tobiah. Now if you've been with us through this study of Tobiah, does anybody remember who Tobiah's friend was? It starts with an S. You remember? Sanballat. Sanballat and Tobiah. In fact, Tobiah is credited with saying these words. If a fox were to go up on your wall, it would fall down. That's what Tobiah said. Now look where Tobiah is living. How did he go from 
being an enemy, saying if a fox crawls up on your wall, it's going to fall down, to now they've given him a room in the temple, a place that was to be set aside for the worship of God. I think we can see this process as it progresses. As the people had had allowed the mixed multitude to come back in, and now Eliashib, the high priest, he makes an alliance. He's friends now with Tobiah. There's some sort of alliance that they have, some sort of mutual benefit. We don't know what it is, but he's made a room for him in the temple. Notice in verse 5 where this room was. And he had prepared for him a great chamber, which uh, where aforetime, before this, they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the offerings of priests. Now, there's a lot of detail here. So if you remember the last few chapters, the people had committed themselves to bringing these tithes and offerings to God. They were bringing it in abundance to God. But now, as they've allowed the mixed multitude back in, they've not separated themselves from them as they should. Now the high priest has made an alliance with an enemy, and he's made for him a room in the temple that previously was used to store the offerings. Now, this got me thinking. Why was there space for him in the temple? What happened to the offerings? Like, shouldn't this room have been full of stuff and there wasn't any room for him? I think there was room for him because as the people allowed compromise in their lives, they stopped giving as they once gave. As the priest then said, well... I don't know what he did. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say if he was getting rent for this room or what. But he had allowed this enemy to move back into the temple. And in fact, we're going to see a little more of why he had this alliance with Tobiah here in just a few minutes. But he's now living in the room that had been set aside, purified, dedicated to store the offerings. And notice about those offerings. We'll read that in just a minute. I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. Let's go back to verse 6. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king. And after certain days obtained I leave of the king. So he's gone back home and now, or back to Persia. Now he's come back to Jerusalem. And he says, and I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. He was very upset. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. When worship became an afterthought for the people, there was no difference between the believer and the unbeliever. And it allowed the temple to be used for a purpose other than what it had been intended for. Now, today we are not worshiping in a temple. The temple has changed. It's no longer a building made with hands. In the New Testament, the Bible says that as believers in Christ, that we are the temple. Who or what have you allowed to move inside of your temple that's taking the place of something that ought to be reserved for God? To me, that's what this says here, right? They'd allowed an enemy into the temple who was taking the place that was reserved for the offerings of God. And if we're going to remain faithful to our promises to God, 
we're going to be faithful in obedience to God. We must be so careful to not allow the enemy to take up residence in something that's set aside for God. Over in the New Testament, the Bible says it this, this way. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of God? He's, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God is dwelling inside of us. God wants all of our body. He wants all of our heart. He wants all of our mind. Jesus was asked by one who, would, who was trying to trick him what the greatest commandment was. Jesus' answer was simply this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Sometimes we, we kind of jump in and love the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, strength. You know? But notice he repeats that word several times, all. All your heart. All your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I believe if we're going to remain faithful to God, we must be careful to give all to Him. Eliashib had become comfortable with the enemy of the people of Israel. And he'd become comfortable because of a relationship. If you go a little bit later in the chapter, look at verse number 28. He says, And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib the high priest, okay, so Eliashib's son, Joiada, had a son. And it says, this young man, it would have been Eliashib's grandson, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. So Sanballat the Horonite, the enemy of God's people, who was friends with Tobiah, the man that said, if a fox goes on the wall, knock down, Sanballat's daughter marries Eliashib, the high priest's grandson. Isn't that interesting? Now, again, the Bible doesn't clearly make the connection for us of exactly why Tobiah was in the temple. But it would stand to reason that Eliashib, the high priest, who was supposed to be dedicated his life to worshiping God and worshiping God alone, that he... Now, through this family connection, has formed an alliance with the enemies of God's people and allowed them to live right in the heart of the place that was set aside for the worship of God. He exchanged, if you will, I think this is clear from the text, he exchanged a human relationship for the heavenly relationship that he should have. And I will tell you, this is, I think, one of the most difficult things in walking with God faithfully. That my relationship with God has to be more important than any other relationship in my life. And I know this is difficult for us because we are flesh. We're human beings. So we tend to value our relationships with other human beings more than we value our relationship with God. This, require, this relationship must be based on faith. Because we have to, God's calling us to have a relationship with Him that we cannot see with our eyes or touch with our hands, and yet we read of Him in His Word. You see, there was a need to have separation from the mixed multitude, separation from the enemy that they had allowed inside the temple 
We see this in the last part of the chapter. Next week we're going to look at another promise that they made and did not keep, but separation also from sinful relationships. Look at verse 23. Nehemiah says, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashtod, of Ammon, and of Moab, And their children spake half in the speech of Ashton and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. So the children couldn't even speak the language of the Jews. You say, why why is this a problem? Well, at this point in time, the Bible hadn't been translated in all these other languages. So for their children to hear God's word, they needed to be able to speak the language so that they could understand it. I would say it's so important, even as parents today, that we raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that God's Word not sound foreign to them when they hear it. That God's Word not seem abnormal to them when when it's read. We live in a culture today that speaks a very different language than the language of the Word of God. And I'm not just talking about how language tends to change over time. I'm talking about the focus and the purpose of that language. We live in a world today that focuses on self and focuses on gratifying, giving me what I want and living for me above anybody else and and caring about what other people think more than caring about what God thinks. And God's Word seems very contrary to the way this world speaks. Nehemiah is concerned because as this mixed multitude, as they've married amongst themselves, the children are not even learning to speak in the Jews' language. They can't even understand the Word of God. This upsets him very much. We see his response. Verse 25, I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto your sons, nor take your daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. And I would say here, while I can appreciate his passion, I don't think God is commanding us to go and pull people's hair out and curse them. Some of us wouldn't have much hair to pull out in the first place, I understand. But why is Nehemiah passionate about this? He's concerned about the future of where the children of Israel were going to go if they were allowed to remain where they were. Now, God challenges us in His Word that we are to minister to others as He does to us in love and in grace and all those things. Nehemiah, I don't think, exemplifies this. Nehemiah is not God. Nehemiah is not perfect. He doesn't do everything right. But I think you can appreciate his passion. And In fact, he preaches a sermon to them. Nehemiah's sermon is a little shorter than mine this morning. And uh, he talks about in verse 26. He says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. He says, Even King Solomon, who was a great king, there was no king like him. He allowed these outlandish women. Another women from another land, women who worshipped another god. And in fact, the Bible tells us that very simply, that the wives of King Solomon turned his heart away from the one true God to worship other false gods. Nehemiah reminds the people of this. He's, he's upset. He's acting in a way we would say is beyond probably what he should be doing. We don't read anywhere in Scripture where the Bible says if someone doesn't behave like you want them to behave, that you should go and rip their hair out, all right? But I think we could agree with his passion in this situation, that he's concerned if these people continue on in this way, they will not walk in obedience to God. Unfortunately, as you finish the book of Nehemiah, as we will in a few weeks, you will see, even as you continue to read on in the nation of Israel's history, not too long after the time of Nehemiah is when you get to, the, in the biblical order of things, the book that was written that's the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And in the book of Malachi, the people are still struggling with the same problems. 
The way to fix the problem is not when someone isn't doing right to go pull their hair out and curse them and to say bad things about them. But this does make the point how serious this problem is. This problem of sinful relationships that would cause us or point us in the direction of sin. Nehemiah asked the question, Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joida, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Nehemiah says, I'm not going to let this guy stay in here. And as the grandson of the high priest, he would have been in the line to be a priest himself. Elisha says, no. Or, or Nehemiah says, no, you're not going to be a priest. Get out. Verse 29, remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Verse 30, thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business, for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. I think we see a tremendous revival taking place in chapters 10, 11, and 12. But by the time you get to chapter 13, as Nehemiah's stepped away as he's not there leading the people and driving them forward on a regular basis. They very quickly wandered back into their sinful ways. They've allowed the mixed multitude to come in. They've even invited an enemy to live in the temple. They've begun participating in sinful relationships that were contrary to what God had commanded them to do. Nehemiah, once again, as he finishes out the book, he tries to organize the people again. He purifies them. He tries to set people in charge over various things. And that really brings us back full circle to where we were last Sunday. That no amount of organizing the ministry can ultimately protect us from the effects of sin creeping in and causing people to turn astray. Because the sin was coming in even at the highest level. The high priest was involved in this. That's why it's so important that each of us personally take our relationship with God as just that, as a personal relationship. Because if your relationship of, in God or with God is dependent upon me, it's dependent on the wrong thing. Hopefully I can help you grow in your relationship with God. That's my desire for you being here. But ultimately, you need to have a relationship with God that's yours and yours alone. Even though I will do my best, I still may fail you sometimes because I'm not God. But God will never fail you. Churches fail people sometimes, don't they? Pastors fail people. Parents fail their children sometimes. Grandparents even fail their grandchildren sometimes. Friends sometimes fail each other. I think all this comes back. Yes, this is a hard passage. This is challenging stuff. But it brings us back to realize that our only our hope, our only reliance, our only place of safety is with God and God alone. Because He never changes. Because he never fails. Because he never stops being God. Nehemiah cries out to God in verse 31. Remember me, oh my God, for good. I think this is the cry of a man who has done the very best that he knows how. But even Nehemiah, with all of his great leadership abilities, with all of his great organizational abilities... Even with his great faith to follow God, Nehemiah was not enough to keep the people faithful before God. Coming to church is not enough to keep you faithful and right with God. Even being around other people 
that want to follow God, while it's good, it's helpful, it's not enough. It must become a, per- become a personal thing for each and every one of us. And I would ask you this morning, how's your relationship with God? If everything else was stripped away, what, what would happen if all of a sudden you were picked up and deposited in a country where you had no freedom to worship God publicly? Where gathering with others to worship God was considered a crime, you could go to prison for the rest of your life. What if they took your Bible away? Would you have enough of God's Word memorized to be able to Continue your relationship with God through that. Would you be able to pray if you didn't have somebody else to pray with you? I think about these things. If no one was at church to welcome you, would you come anyway, right? Would you come to worship God even if you didn't have something to do? I'm thankful, and I've talked about this with some of my friends and ministry, and one of the things they'll talk about in a church is that you need to get everybody busy, because if people are busy serving in the church, then it gives them a reason to come to church. They think that's backwards. I think that's kind of what Nehemiah, in a sense, was trying to do here. If I keep them all busy and organized and got everybody in their place, it'll be okay. It won't be okay. You just have a lot of busy people. Now, when God's people come together to do God's work, there's a lot of work that goes into it. We understand that. Many people participate in the work here in wonderful ways. But may we never get to the place as individuals where, well, if I don't go to church today, you know, there's not going to be anybody to preach, so I guess I better get out of bed (laughs) and get up there because those people are expecting me. Sometimes it becomes that, doesn't it? Well, if I don't get there, there's not going to be anybody to play the instrument. If I don't get there, there's not going to be somebody to teach the class. I better get there today. I'm supposed to watch the babies in the nursery. I better get up there today. If I don't get there, so-and-so's going to call me and ask me where I am. Folks, all of those things are signs of a spiritual relationship that's dependent on someone or something other than God. And I would challenge you. As I think these people were challenged by this, the importance of standing firm for the cause of separation. Separating themselves from the mixed multitude. Separating themselves from the enemies of God. Separating themselves from sinful relationships. Saying yes to God often means saying no to something or someone else, doesn't it? Just like when you said yes to your spouse on your wedding day, you said no to all those other, all those other people that you could have married. And I know some of you t- men tell those stories, well, honey, I could have had a lot of, there are a lot of options. Yeah. You're a legend in your own mind, right? Be thankful that she married you because <laughs> you didn't deserve it, neither did I. It's a gift. But isn't that how we treat God sometimes too? Boy, God's lucky to have me. If he didn't have me doing this, I don't know what he would do. I've, I've had those thoughts a couple times. I had that thought when we were getting ready to leave Indiana and move down here to start the church. I thought, what is this church going to do without me and my family? You know what? They're doing just fine. They're probably happier, right? No, No, we miss them. They're our friends. We go back and we visit. Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves, don't we? I don't know how this world will go on if I'm not doing this. The world will go on just fine. It has for thousands and thousands of years. I'll tell you what we can't live without. We can't live without God. 
and a personal relationship with Him. It begins by coming to Him and admitting, God, we're not enough. We're, we're sinners. I'm a sinner. I've broken Your law, and I need forgiveness. I could work as hard as I want to. I could be the best person in the world. I could be really nice and help everybody. But I realize that that's still not enough. I can only be complete in Him through what Jesus Christ has done. And after accepting Christ as Savior and trusting in Him by faith, not trusting in our works, our abilities, our energy, our good looks, nothing. Not in our parents, not in our church attendance. Trusting in God and God alone. That's the beginning of a personal relationship. But then it's continued daily as we walk in obedience to God's Word, which means knowing what it says, reading it, studying it, encouraging others to study along with you. Spending time in prayer, developing that relationship with God. Prayer is such an important part. We haven't talked about that as much here, but we'll get back to that. Spending time growing in that relationship with God. And as you find yourself, in, and you'll go through these stages in life where you're having a difficult time with something and someone else will come and just really encourage you spiritually. That's a wonderful part of being part of a church. But then growing spiritually, maturing is getting to the place where, yes, they help me through that hard time, just like a crutch helps you when you have a broken leg or a hurt foot, but then getting your strength back so you no longer need that crutch anymore. So that even in a church body, we could become spiritually mature to the place as individuals where I don't just need everybody to care for me anymore. I can now go minister to other people, win souls, make disciples, serve and minister in the church as God would have me to serve. It's what we want for our children, right? When they're little babies, they're completely dependent on us. But when they grow up, we want them to be self-sufficient. doesn't mean that we don't still enjoy coming together for family reunions and activities and events, and, and we lift each other up and we encourage one another. And that's really what a church service should be as we come back together to worship God and praise Him for all the great things He's doing and have a thing like we did last Sunday night and give thanks to God for all that He's done. And then we can go right back out into the work that God has given us to do to carry on in the ministry that He has for us. And then we can look forward to coming back again and say, boy, I took some lumps this week. I've got a few battle scars, but I'm glad to come back with my friends and my brothers and my sisters in Christ and worship Him together and encourage one another and edify one another and build one another up so that we can go back out and continue to be faithful in the service of our God. The children of Israel made some promises and they broke some promises. That really became a, or was always kind of the story of the nation of Israel. And unfortunately, that's the story for many Christians today. But it doesn't have to be that way. But it begins by knowing what God's Word says, by living in obedience to it, by being willing to separate ourselves out from those things that, while they may seem desirable, alluring, fun, exciting, saying, no, I'm God's. He's mine. And I'm His. And I'm going to walk in obedience with Him. Would you commit to that kind of pursuing that kind of relationship with God? If I'm honest with you this morning, I have to say there are areas of my life I don't think that's all the way where I am. But that's where I want to be. That's where I want to go. And I hope that's your heart as well this morning. If it's not, I don't want to twist your arm. I want God to work in your heart just like He's working in my heart. But I would ask you, if you're at all interested in having a relationship with God, even if you're not sure about what I'm talking about, that you would get in God's Word and just allow God to speak to you and allow Him to work in the way that only He can. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Ask God to help us. Father, thank You for Your Word. My heart is challenged this morning and full. Lord, you know I'm not trying to pick on anybody this morning. I, 
I didn't have any particular person in mind this morning. I'm not preaching at anybody this morning. I'm probably preaching at myself, if anybody. But Lord, if you, through your Holy Spirit, are doing your work of conviction in someone's heart this morning, as I know you are, I pray that they would respond in faith and in obedience to you and not walk away, not make excuses, not feel offended by something that was said, but rather try to carefully look at what your word says and and respond in obedience and faith to it. Thank you for our church. Thank you for what you're doing. Bless this time as we have a chance to respond to your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The piano's going to play, and you take some time there in your seat, or come and I'll be happy to pray with you, whatever we could do to help you in your desire to walk close to the Lord.